Episode 229 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the great Scottish middle and long distance runner Liz McColgan. In the 10,000 metres, Liz won the gold medal at the 1991 World Championships and the 1986 and 1990 Commonwealth Games and a silver medal at the 1988 Olympic Games. In the 3,000 metres, she gained silver in the 1989 World Indoor Championships and bronze in the 1990 Commonwealth Games. She won the New York City Marathon in 1991, the Tokyo Marathon in 1992 and the London Marathon in 1996. This interview took place at her home in Scotland in 1998, when Liz was married to her first husband, the Northern Irish athlete Peter McColgan, and she was pregnant with their second child. Their first child, daughter Ailish, was then eight years old, and in 2022 she famously broke her mother's Scottish 10,000 metres record and emulated her by winning the 10,000 metres at the Commonwealth Games. So it's particularly interesting to hear now Liz's thoughts in 1998 about Ailish literally following in her footsteps. You know, I'm, I'm not the type of person that pushes my children into athletics or any sport. I'm the type that, because of my sort of background, I didn't get the opportunity to try a lot of different sports. And I was very good at a varied sports at school. But um, obviously, you know, I, I didn't have the finances to pursue other... You know, that's probably why I stayed at athletics, because it was quite cheap in the day. You know, all you needed was a pair of shoes and the way you went. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer of letting my child have a hand at everything you know I, I don't particularly say oh you've got to stick at it but at least get the opportunity to try a sport or you know like Ailish is into swimming horse riding she likes golf she likes running tennis she, she really likes tennis but it's just giving her the opportunity to try and then she'll decide herself what she wants to do it's a good job she's into golf around here isn't it yeah <laughs> she loves the golf but I think she's a bit young she's not allowed mm. on the, the actual golf courses yet so Peter just takes her up to the driving range and that when he goes up but she does like it Mm. It's unusual for a nine-year-old girl to be into golf, isn't it? Though? Yeah, oh, I think she just likes to participate in what we participate right. in, really, you know, since she, she, like, um, she loves snooker because Peter plays snooker in the house and whatever, and she loves to have a go at that. So um, it's just sort of the interest that we have she tends to go towards as well. Mm. There's an instance that we went along to see um, a band. I was, like, I must have been about what, eight months pregnant, Peter, and we went away to Edinburgh to see um, Prefab Sprout. <laughs> and... Uh, it was funny, like because they had like this warm-up band and they were really, really noisy, and it was like, oh, Jesus, terrible, and like you know, there was no movements or nothing like. And as soon as Prefab Sprout come on, you know that hot was it hot dog, hot dog jumping frog, like Alice was in my stomach, and you could feel her bouncing about, and it was so uncomfortable, you know. And I was like, oh, gee, you know, and I actually thought something was happening, like because she was so active, and even to this day, she loves Prefab Sprout. You know, she she has it on in the car, and I mean, it's not normal for an eight-year-old to like Prefab. So I really do believe that things that you do during your pregnancy mm. does um, have a lot to do with the development of the child. So what music are you playing at the moment? Well, we're actually into Celine Dion. <laughs> because of Ailish's age, she's in <laughs> She's into that, that Britney Spears yeah. and things like that. But um, no, we haven't, we're actually going away to the, a concert in uh, Edinburgh in July with the cores. We're in, oh, you know, we, I really yeah. like the cores and that just yeah. now, so... You know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, this is really the most beautiful environment to bring up children, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's... Um, I mean, from the way I was brought up, it didn't make me any less, a, a, you know, any better a person, whatever, because we've got a big house or whatever, but, um, I mean... I feel very, very fortunate in the fact of, uh, you know, I've came from the other side of town. I know what it's like to, you know, to not have the best of everything. And we just feel that we're just so thankful that we can give Eilish a better a better life. You know, she'd never have to go through what I had to go through. And I think that's what I've worked for all my life. You know, it's always been for to get something better for my family. And, um, you know, it's really worked out well for me. And she, Eilish is the type of person, too, that she, we don't spoil her. And she really understands that she, you know, that she, she has got a, a little bit more privilege than other people and things. And she, she is very good that way. You know, she's not sort of, like, spoiled or anything like that. She's got a very, very good attitude to things. You're definitely one of the luckier athletes in the fact that athletics lost its amateur status and allowed you to make a lot of money yeah. out of the sport. Well, yeah, I made a lot out of it, but at the end of the day, um, I did an awful lot of hard work for it. I mean, you know, I had to get to world champion status mm. before I even sort of started getting any income yeah. from it. And then at the end of the day, too, simply because of my my status, I moved up to the marathon, and that's been the lucky thing for me. You know, marathon running is very lucrative on sponsorship-wise and things. So, um, you know, I've been very, very fortunate in the fact that, you know, I've been involved with companies throughout my whole athletic career that have really backed me up. Because I think a lot of people probably expected you to move south to London or whatever, but... um Presumably, one of the reasons you stayed up here was because it's a perfect place to bring up your children. Yeah, well, when I was about, I think uh, just after I'd won the Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh in '86, a PR agency come up to me and uh, they wanted to take me on their books and they wanted me to move down to London and go to finishing school. And I mean, it was just like, yeah, I just was not keen on it at all. And um, I just, you know, we kind of thought about it because, like, they, they were sort of putting all this starry stuff in your head, like, you know, you learn this, you do this, you you know, you've got contracts for this and whatever. And, um, you know, when you're sort of like the way I was, just making the big breakthrough, it was very, very tempting. But at the end of the day, I turned around and I thought to myself, you know, why should I have to lose my accent to be acceptable? You know, so um, I just said no. Uh, you know, I'm probably a bit stubborn. I just said no. Um, you know, I'm just going to keep on working away and slogging away and that's just what I did and luckily for me you know I was able to make the breakthrough and and keep going. Because you're very much the pride of Scotland aren't you? You've been ashamed to have an English accent. Well I mean I'm not you know a lot of people may say that you know you have a a really strong accent and it's very hard to understand you but at the end of the day that's who I am Mm. you know I am Scottish at the end of the day it's the way I was brought up and so why why be embarrassed by what you are and uh, that's one thing I'm not I'm very very proud of the fact that you know, I came from a working-class background and I was able to make it. And, um, you know, I think that says a lot for what my parents installed in me as well. Were you from an athletic family in any way? Not really, you know. Um, Mum and Dad are very heavy smokers and things, so, you know, we're not, we're not athletic. My dad kind of played um, junior football until he was, like, 35 or whatever, but, you know, he, he'd sort of smoke and whatever all the way through his career and that. My older brother, Martin, was right. very good at, um, you know, he won, like... Dundee schools, championships, and you know, but he was more a sprinter, long jumper. He was very good, but he really didn't get any encouragement, you know, to carry it on. So he really just did it once a year through the school, won a couple of medals, and that was it. And then my other elder brother, Kevin, he was a very, very good footballer. He actually played sort of semi-professional level until he got a really bad tackle that wiped out his cartilages, and that was the end of him. So I mean, I suppose I know that back on my, my father's side. 
my granddad was from Sligo in Ireland, and I do know that there was a lot of um, very good boxers in the family. Nothing running, but um, there were a good few men that did good boxing standards. And apart from that, that's about it. So I really, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't really say that, you know, it's athletic. I suppose, well, my brother's a footballer, like, so... Suppose. Who does your brother play for? Well, he played for a mixture of people. Like um, he ended his career when when he got the bad injury and things. Uh, he was playing for Arbroath just oh, along there. Yeah. yeah. So he then, after he got his his bad knee done, like he uh, went into coaching for a little while and then he joined the police force. He's now an inspector. Mm. So. What jobs do your parents have? <laughs> uh, my dad was just like a, I suppose. A labourer. They did everything. Like my mum, kind of worked in the, you know, the the bar trade. You know, she was like a barmaid and stuff. And my dad, kind of, like uh, he he's sort of like a man of everything. He, you know, he worked on building sites. He did farming. Towards the end of his career, he was more into a uh, farm labourer that type of thing. But I mean, he did he did everything. Wherever he could get a job, he was a bus driver. He was a barman. He, you know, he did everything. Like so, um, you know, not not a specific trade as such. You talked with some disapproval about the fact that your parents smoked quite heavily. Did that really upset you? Yeah, I hate it, even to this day. They, you know, Actually, my mum, she gave up smoking about eight, nine weeks now. She just stopped. So hopefully she can keep that going. But my dad still smokes away. But um, they always say, like, uh, oh, you know, they've smoked all their days and they eat fried food and, you know... And I'm still a good runner, but I always say, but you think how good I could have been? Yeah, I could have been better, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So it's kind of a little joke about us, but I, I really, really would, just for their own health, I would like them, not so much to just stop, but I would like them to stop, but at least try to cut down, you know, because mm. my dad does smoke an awful, awful lot. As my dad, my dad must smoke about <clears throat> fifty a day or something. Like that. He's quite a heavy, you know, chain smoker. Yeah. But um, I mean, he started smoking when he was like seven, you know. But in those days, that's kind of what they did, you know, when they were kids, they were doing it like. So um, I really would like to see him cut down for his own health. Because as you pointed out, I mean, you've gone into the opposite extreme, the most healthy yeah. lifestyle you could possibly have. Mm. Do you think part of your incentive for going into it was to lead an incredibly healthy lifestyle? I don't think it was so much as. Like lead a healthy lifestyle. I think what really got me into it was when I was a child, I didn't want to be where I was for the rest of my life. I wanted something better. And it was nothing to do. When I started running, people weren't making money or a living from running. My, my running was like an escape from where I was. You know, I, can, I could get out and just run and forget about all the problems that were happening, you know, like sort of in your surroundings and stuff. And that's what it was. It was just more an escapism than anything. And just by chance, you know, I was good at it. And I wasn't... I always say that I wasn't the best runner, but I was the hardest working runner. And, um, you know, it's just hard work that's really got me to where I was, you know, am. It, it wasn't anything to do with, all, you know, the bright lights of running, being famous and everything. It was nothing to do with that at all when I was younger. So how did you think you could get out of the lifestyle that you were in? Just... I mean, I, when I was younger, there was no sort of plan, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Um, I mean, when I was at school, I got no encouragement whatsoever to do well at school from teachers or anything. Um, but, I mean, nothing against the teachers. I think it was just the, the type of kids that were you know, at the school were very disruptive and it was very, very hard for them to control a class, so they, they more or less just gave up. And although some children maybe wanted to learn, they didn't have the opportunity to learn then. So, um, you know, I really wasn't given any encouragement or whatever to do well at school and um, 
when I was 16, they actually ended up leaving school and got put in a jute mill. So, I mean, you know, I, I could have very easily have ended up following the lifestyle that I should have. But um, at the same time, although I was working in the jute mill and everything, and which I hated um, because it was very much against what, you know, I like to be out and open and whatever, and it was very dusty and dark and dirty and things. You know, it was just like another another thing that was put in front of me to overcome. And I, I just always, 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 I was just so into my running, you know, because it was the only, everything else in life was dreary and, and sort of like, you know, you had no sort of control over it, whereas with my running, you know, I was able to escape all that, I was free, I could do what I want, and, you know, I, I really, really did get a buzz from it then, when I was like sort of 15, 16, and, you know, I was a type of, I was a type of child that um, I was never into, like, what all the other girls around me were into, they were into boys, they were into discos and drinking, you know, smoking, I just wasn't into the same things that they were interested in so then again it all fell back to when they were going out to discos and whatever what was I doing I was going to my club and running so you know that that was running just became the only thing that um, was of interest to me. Were you brought up round here around this area? No I was brought up in Dundee in an industrial right. estate you Not know like just obviously it. yeah. Do you ever go past the jute mill which you worked in? And, I, uh, actually, I actually think the jute mill's closed now but I do often visit the housing estate that I was brought up in because um you know, they've got, like, these neighbourhood things where they're actually building their own houses and, you know, pulling down all the old scarring and building up nice new houses for the people and then, you know, the people that build them are staying in it and all this sort of stuff. So um, I've actually been back a couple of times when the, the sort of neighbourhood um, sort of committee have asked me to go up and just sort of, like, you know, open a house that they've just built and things like that. So I do go back up because I think it's very important that you keep in touch with your roots as well so that you don't forget what you are. You know, because sometimes you could just forget where you come from. You can get a little bit big head and away you go. And, you know, I think that I firmly believe that you've got to keep your feet firmly on, on the ground. And um, I'm very, very sort of proud in the fact that I was able to achieve what I have from where I was. But at the end of the day, if I can do it, if me going up and sort of talking to another child or whatever could help them achieve their dreams, then, you know, it's worthwhile taking five minutes out of your time to do it. So, um, you know, I really do like to sort of keep in touch with people and that, because I think the people of the area still kind of, um, although, like, you know, it's an, a different generation, I think they still sort of, they know that I came from that area and they're kind of proud of the fact that, you know, you know I've achieved what I have and whatever like that. So they've got a kind of sort of empathy with you, like, you know, they, you'll always be regarded as a sincere child and a Whitfield child and whatever. Do you ever have nightmares that you're still back there and this has never happened? No nightmares at all because I had a very very happy childhood. You know, no no nightmares at all. Um, I mean, although that although that you know I'm saying uh, you know it was hard work to sort of get out of that situation. At the same time, all our neighbours and whatever they were brilliant. You know, there's an awful lot of uh, sort of camaraderie with people when they're living in a situation like that. And um, you know, your neighbours are friends, and obviously you have all little spites where people are fighting against one another and whatever. But where we were, we always found that our neighbours were always in each other's houses, you know, for sugar and milk and you know, and this sort of thing. And so and so babysat one night, and somebody else did the other night, and things. So um, you know, I, I've got no bad memories of where I was from or anything. You know, I think a lot of other people nowadays that are still sort of living in that type of area and whatever, I mean, you do make the best of what you've got and that's that's the way you survive it. Did anyone ever tell you when you were younger that you would be a star in some way? The only person that ever told me, that gave me any encouragement or whatever was my first coach, Harry Bennett. When I was 16, the only distance that, that a woman could run was 3,000 metres, you know, which is like 
seven and a half times around the track. And when I was 16, he took me aside and he said to me, Liz, he says, you know, you've got the talent, he says, but we really have to decide now. I was into sort of like um, captain of the volleyball team, into hockey and everything. And um, he says to me, you know, you, we really have to decide now. He says, you're 16 years of age. He says, I believe that you'll win the Commonwealth Games in, in 86 for the 10,000 metres. And I'm like, 10,000 metres? I mean, that's 25 mm. times into track. A woman could only run seven and a half. And he says, no, no, no. I says, I'm telling you, he says, if you work now, do the work now. He says, but you have to give up all your other sports and we have to start training twice a day for it. And uh, I was like, oh, jeez, you know. It was a bit sort of daunting, but the more we spoke about it and, you know, he says, definitely be 10,000 metres by, you know, the next Olympics and all this sort of stuff. And um, I says, right, that's it. So it was an easy decision. We just, I just decided there and then that no other sports running was the only thing. Trained twice a day. He used to meet me in his lunch hour from his work. He actually used to work for DC Thompson's. And then, um, you know, we trained like at night plus in the afternoon and things, and things just went ahead. So he's the only guy that ever told me that I could achieve something. Do you ever look back now and wish you hadn't made all those sacrifices and kind of feel you maybe missed out? No, no. I mean, um, I think if I had to relive it all again, I'd do it the same way. I mean, obviously you have a lot of ups and downs in athletics and you've had good races, bad races, but overall I think what I've achieved and what I've missed out on, for me personally, I think it's all been worth it. When you first became successful and were able to make some money out of the sport, did you reward your family in some way? Did you maybe buy your parents a house or a car or something? I've always been supportive of my family. Always, and everything that I've made, they have had benefits from it. Yeah, mum and dad have got a house, and I've helped out brothers and sisters and different things. Yeah. When you live in this lovely surroundings that you're in now, do you often think back to the tougher times when you were a kid? Yeah, I think back all the time, and I think, I mean, that's what that's what doesn't change me. Is the simple fact that you know you, you have got sort of referrals to look back on. And that's also what makes what you've got all the more pleasant and you, you appreciate it more. You know, you take things for granted. When, when things start happening for you, you kind of get a little bit lazy and easy about things, whereas I think that um, I've still got a lot of motivation in things because simply because I keep referring back to the way things were, not as they are now, but as they were. And uh, so I'm very, very appreciative of everything that I've got. I never take anything for granted. Why do you think you've been so successful as an athlete, probably the most successful long-distance athlete we've ever produced? Just simply the hard work. You know, I've I've, always, I've never had anything given to me. You know, I've always had to work against things, and I think that's just the that's what's kept me going as long as what it has. What do you think's been your greatest achievement in athletics? It has to be the world title, you know, but... I've never, I've not got one thing that I would say, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever done, because different things have happened that have, for different reasons have meant a lot to me. Um, obviously the world title, but winning in Edinburgh at the Commonwealth Games in 86, I mean, that was so special because it was in Scotland, it was a home crowd, and I'll never forget, like, um, when I went to get my medal, um, for about, they kept me, there's an underground tunnel in Meadowbank Stadium that you go up to the podium, and I was underneath this underground tunnel, and it was pouring the rain, and it was about 20 minutes, and I was just standing there waiting and waiting, and all you heard was Liz Lynch, Liz Lynch, for about 20 minutes, everyone in the stadium had stayed to watch me get my medal, and it was just so emotional that that will never, ever be replaced. So that's a really, really big event in my mind. But then also, when I won my first London, 
that was special as well because everyone had written me off so much. You know, oh, she's finished, she's gone, she'll never do it again. And I had worked so hard to get back to where I was that it was very, very gratifying. It was like a, the press had just totally written me off completely. And, like, when I won, it was just like, yeah, I showed you, like, you know, so... You know, it's kind of there's all different things that go on in your head. What's special for you? And I would say those three are on par with one another. You mentioned your days as Liz Lynch, but uh, how mm-hmm. much of a difference to your career did meeting Peter and working with him make? Um, it made a big difference. And well, Peter was Peter was with me right from the start, more or less, because I had met Peter in America before the Commonwealth Games. Uh, we were both out on scholarship, so he had known me just when I was kind of struggling to get the breakthrough, but he knew what type of person I was, and he's always been very, very supportive. The only bad thing that I feel about meeting Peter is that Peter was a very, very talented runner in his own right, and he has always put his athletics second to what mines were. And the only, you know, the only bad thing that I feel is simply that he never really fulfilled his dreams, you know, because he wanted to help me fulfil mine, and you know, which says a lot for him. And um, you know, it's just it's just one sort of regret that I have that he never got the opportunity to really fulfil his dreams. Go into a bit more detail about how you met. So you're both in America. Was he, were you both athletes at the time then? Yeah, we about 83 I met Peter. Well, I was out in America about three months before Peter. I was on scholarship in a, a little place called Rexburg, Idaho, which was a junior college. And um, Peter came out sort of three months later after me. The thing that kind of really drawn, drew us together was the fact that the college that we were at was a Mormon school, and Peter and myself are both Catholics, and so it was very, very... It was like we were just thrown together right from the start because um, the Mormon school was very, very strict on religion and they were kind of trying to bring us over to their religion. And um, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of hard sort of being like the only one. So when he came over, it was kind of like, oh, jeez, another one. <laughs> it's not a Mormon-like sort of thing. And, I mean, we had a really, really good time at the school and everything. And uh, we, we just really got together really, really quickly I mean, as soon as I saw Peter, I kind of knew, you know, I knew that it was different from any other relationship or whatever, and that, um, you know, like there was just something special about it. And uh, after about sort of, must have been about three months, four months of being together, that we decided that we were going to go to another school, but we were going to go together. And so um, we then transferred to the University of Alabama, and we were there for about three, four years there. And so, you know, we were together quite a long time before, like, you know, the Commonwealth Games and that came along. And at the Commonwealth Games, Peter was representing Northern Ireland for the steeplechase and the 5K. So it was great because he was actually at the village and everything with us and he was actually there the day that I won and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it was just it was just very, very good. Like, we were already engaged as well. So, you know, it was kind of very special to sort of share everything with him, plus my mum and dad and all this sort of thing. So uh, it's been a big, big help, him being an athlete, because he's more understanding than most what you have to go through to achieve your goals and um, so he's been very very supportive I mean he's mo- he does all the organisational things Not he he makes my life so simple that all I have to do is get out and run that's the way he looks at it he takes care of all the phone calls and you know, I very rarely answer a phone or anything like that he deals with everything so um, you know it really was a good partnership Were a lot of people telling you, you know, your career is so important, it's so precious, don't have children? Yeah, yeah, I had that at the start, and when when I first got pregnant, um, I think I was about the first person that actually sort of, like, 
got pregnant, exercised and came back as strong as what I did. And, um, you know, I remember when I was being pregnant, a lot of people saying, well, well, for one, I got dropped from my shoe company. They dropped me right away. As soon as I said I was pregnant, that was me. They, they just dropped me. Um, what did you say to them when they did that? I just said, you're lost. Like, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know, I thought it was very sort of sexist, like, you know, just to say, oh, because you had the baby, you're not going to ever be, you know, make running again. I mean, that was just silly. Who were they? I'll make sure I never put <laughs> <laughs> It was Nike at the Nike, time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they just dropped me. But um, I was really thankful because when they dropped me, ASICs picked me up and I've been with ASICs. And, like, right. they took a, like, yeah, I've been with them since 87. And the thing was, there was nothing to see I would ever mm. be a good runner again. Mm. So, I mean, you know, it just showed that they had faith in you, which yeah. is why I'm very... I mean, when I got to the world title and everything, all these companies are coming to you and offering you even more money and whatever. And I just stayed loyal to them because... You know, they had faith in me at the start. So, um, you know, I, I've, you know, I've, I've been ambassador for Isaac since, like. But um, did you genuinely fear that having your first child, Ailish, would damage your career? Never crossed my mind. Never. I was very, very positive all the way through it. Um, I'd always wanted a child, so I knew that it would make me happier. I, di- I, I didn't. I didn't envisage like. There, there was complications with having a baby and running because she came with me to the races and there'd be nights she'd be up with earache and earache and I'd had to go and run in the morning, you know, race in the morning. That so there were problems. It wasn't easy, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I never once thought oh, I'll never make it back. I always thought positive that you know I was going to do this, I was going to do that, and things happened the way I thought. Yeah, I mean, only four months after having Ailish, you won a major. Title, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, so I mean, it just shows like you know, um, if you really want something bad enough and you work for it, you know, it'll happen for you. You said that you won't sort of push her into athletics, but it seems fairly inevitable that she might lean that way, bearing in mind who her parents are. Uh huh. Um, I mean, if she ever wanted to, you know, take up athletics, I wouldn't stand in her way because, um, I mean, I've had a lot of happiness and, you know, thoroughly enjoyed my athletics and, and obviously I've. I've got a lot out of it, but um, at the end of the day, it's not an easy thing. You know, not everyone that goes into athletics can make a, a living out of it. You know, it's very, very hard to do. And I also feel that if she was to take up athletics, she'd always be constantly compared to me, which would be very, very hard on her. So, I mean, obviously, the decisions are... Uh, she is a good runner. Uh, you, know, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't deny it. She does ask to come run with me and things occasionally, and I do let her go, and she is very, very good. But... Um, at that, I would never push her. You know, I, I've been to the track where I've seen parents standing shouting at their children, the children crying and things, and them actually getting really upset. And I swore I would never ever do that to my child, and I never would. When she was younger, I refused to even take her to the track because I didn't want her to be sort of forced into a place that she didn't want to be. So, you know, we'll just see what happens. I have been told that, you know, a lot of people do ask that, you know, about her being an athlete and everything, but um, the sort of majority of people say that children of sports people tend to excel at a different sport mm. than their parents because there's less pressure put on them. Mm. And, um, you know, I could, I could probably understand that. Does she have the physical attributes to be a long-distance runner? Because there's something quite special, isn't it? Yeah, she, she has. She's, she's definitely a better distance runner than a sprinter, and um, she has got a lot of endurance. I've been surprised myself when she's ran just how good she is. I mean, at that age, I, I probably couldn't do the running that she can do. But um, she is very, very good. Mm. I think if she was in Russia or Germany, she would have been packed off to a little school and, you know, like, uh, we wouldn't ever see her again. But, um, you know, I have to be honest, she is a very, very talented runner. 
But at the end of the day, I would never ever push her into it. Mm. Is she already winning her school races and things like that? Yeah, yeah she's always winning the sports at the school. Yeah, she. They had a, a mini marathon last year, where um, it was like boys and girls, and she beat all the boys a year ahead of her as well. So she is very, very good. And seeing that, you know, a lot of people expect her to be good, and I would hate that expectation to be on her. So, you know, everything is left to Ailish to decide what she wants to do. What does she say about what she wants to do? Is she already saying, oh, Mummy, I want to follow your footsteps? She's, uh, I think the latest thing was a horse rider, and then the thing before that was a tennis player. So, because it depends on what she's enjoying at the time. You know, she does do horse riding once a week. She, she loves the tennis in the summer. And she is a very, very good tennis player. I mean, she could actually play me on a tennis court, which I'm a bit surprised that she's got a good, you know, she's got a good strong hand and everything. But I always find when you get any eight-year-old, if you give them the opportunity, they do tend to be good at it because they've got such amount of energy in them. Um, you know, you could take any kid off the street and you could get them into running because they have got an abundant burst of energy. And um, I think she's just at that stage now. You know, she's sort of into everything. How aware is she of your success and your fame? She knows, yeah, mm-hmm. she knows. But she's very... She would never, ever mention it to anything what her mum and dad does, which I think is really good. She mm-hmm. keeps everything to herself. You know, a lot of people... Even at the school, a lot of people didn't know who she was until about a year later, that what her mum and dad did. So um, she's very coy about it. I think because she knows that we are kind of well-known, she kind of keeps quiet so that, you know, nobody goes on about it, like... Mm-hmm. Are you very wary of her maybe getting some friends who just want to know her because of who her parents are? I don't worry about that. I just worry in the fact that that she might get a bit of problems, especially at school, from us being who we are. Because you know, kids could be a little bit vindictive against one another, and I just worry about you know maybe she get bullied or something like that because of who she is. Um, because I did get bullied quite badly at school. And so, I, you know, I think every parent worries about that, not just because of who we are or who she is. I think, you know, um, you know, you worry about the normal things that any other parent worries about their child. Mm. How important is it to live up here because the air is so fresh, which is presumably very good for you? It's not, I don't think it's so much about that. I think it, it's just the area. It's just a lovely, lovely area. Um, it's like being in the countryside but near enough to all the conveniences mm. that you need, you know, like the stores and whatever but it's still, like, got your privacy. Um, it's great for running because it's just small country roads, lots of hills. The beach is just, like, you know, 200 metres from the door, so it's perfect in all ways that you want. To me, it's just a, it's just a perfect location. I mean, I don't think I'll ever move from here. You know, I'm very, very happy and settled here. You know, it's sort of like the house of my dreams. I wouldn't need any more than what I've got now, you know, for the rest of my life. So I've achieved all that I want. Yeah. That's quite something, isn't it? You yeah. wouldn't even buy somewhere in Spain or America? No, or no I wouldn't. We did have a house in America that uh, that we had to get, you know, because I used to train over there yeah. all the time. But uh, no, no, this is this is where I'm at. Like, um, you know, I'll grow old and retire here, like, definitely. Mm. I mean, it's got everything that I want, mm. you know. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not an extravagant person, and so this is just ideal for me. Mm. Do you get kids coming up the driveway asking for all signed photos? All the time, especially at summer holidays, mm. you know, when all the, all the friends are visiting. Mm. But, I mean, we don't mind. I mean, we even get them coming up and asking for acorns off the tree and things like, you oh. know, so we give them buckets away and that. But um, at the end of the day, I would rather them come up than not. I mean, I always go back to when I was young, like, if I ever had, the, you know, if someone had uh, been famous or whatever when I was young, it would have helped me, like, mm. if I had been able to talk to them or mm. whatever. So I never, ever take the attitude, oh, you know, what a pain, you know. 
I would rather people stop and ask me than not stop and ask me because at the end of the day it means that they do recognise you and you know you're well known or whatever like that there and it's better to be like that than not to be mm. you know so what are your expectations or hopes for your running career now well I hope to run like London next year then the Olympics and then after the Olympics I hope to run for about another two years and then call it a day I'm very motivated to be at the Olympics in mm. Sydney. So, um, you know, that's always been a big goal of me for the past four years, So, um, especially after what happened to Atlanta. Mm. I always said that I was going to retire after the Sydney Olympics, but because I've had this year right now, I'm going to run on another couple of years after it. Mm. So, I mean, there are two reasons you're not taking part in the marathon this year, aren't there? Yeah, well, the first one was my I have an injury to my foot, which I've had since last April, and it, it really hasn't got better. I mean, I was out of the London Marathon initially because of that, and then the pregnancy is a secondary thing. How disappointing is it not to be taking part in the London Marathon this year? It's very disappointing because um, after after last year and the kind of problems that I, I went through in the race and whatever, um, you know, I was very much looking forward to sort of getting back in there and prove myself again this year because I was kind of very annoyed about the result last year. It was a very, very tough marathon for me to run, so I was really looking forward to just like, you know, going through it all again and and running better this year. So, you know, it was a bit of a disappointment knowing knowing from like November that I wouldn't be there. Has it been very tough for you over the last few years, knowing that all British hopes have been upon you? Not really, because uh, I I always go into the marathon uh, or any race and. I put so much pressure on myself because all I want to do is run as fast as I can. It doesn't matter what other people think. I think that's sort of one of the keys to me running well is that, you know, I always go in to try 100% and give 100%. I never really take much notice of who's favourites or who said what or whatever. How important is the London Marathon compared to other marathons around the world to you? Well, it's important in the simple fact that it's in Britain and you want to run your best in front of your home crowd. Um, it is the premier marathon of the world. You know, I would say there's London and then it used to be New York, but New York's fell away off now. So I would say London is the, the main the main race that everyone really aims for and wants to win. You know, it's what they say is the biggie. Just simply because it's in front of your home crowd and whatever, you, really, you always want to win it, always. What's the worst bit and the best bit about the London Marathon? I think the worst bit is... Uh, it's all but is it worse? <laughs> I would say about the about the ten mile mark there's a bad stretch where you're sort of going over humps, which isn't very good on your legs. You know, it's these speed barriers. That's quite bad. And then I also think when you go over London Bridge, it's like it's like the halfway mark and the hotel that everybody stays in is right there and it's very easy just to you know when you're feeling bad just to I think also, there's actually a lot of girls that have just stopped and walked into their rooms. So that's quite sort of discerning, you know, it kind of puts you off a bit. And then it's a bad spot too because, like, you're turning into the Isle of Dogs and, you know, you're halfway and you're like, oh, jeez, I've still got another 30 miles to go. But the best part, I think, is when you come just in front of the London Tower because you've only got about five miles to run then, but it never seems like five miles because everybody's, there's always crowds and then everybody gets all buzzed up and it's like the last five miles just sails in. You know, you don't even realise it's five miles to go. You, I always always feel when I get to London Bridge that this is the end, although I've still got another 30-odd minutes running left, you know. How much of a difference do the crowd actually make to a runner like yourself? They make a big, big difference. I found that uh, last year, when I was going through all my stomach problems, um, I went through a really, really, really bad patch, and I actually thought, right, I'm just going to stop now, because I think I dropped to about sixth place, 
and I thought, right, you know, I'm just really struggling here. And I got, it's actually a big London bridge that I actually got to. And um, it was about 18 miles, 19 miles, Mark, just before the London Bridge and um, London Tower, sorry. And uh, I remember I went past just this big crowd of people. And they were, although I was six and sort of feeling sorry for myself because I was feeling so bad, the easiest thing would be just to walk off. And um, I got to these crowd of people and they just started shouting, like, you know, hey, Liz, there's Liz, there, and all that sort of stuff. And it kind of, like, startled me out of feeling this sort of, oh, I feel sorry for myself, I feel awful. It kind of just sort of shook me up and it was like, oh, you know, forget this here. And so I just really started working and I actually caught the girls really quickly. And then I was, like, just motoring along. But then Catherine was just that wee bit too far ahead of me. And uh, although I really did, you know, close the gap, an awful lot. It was just the finish line just came too early then. So, um, you know, if it wasn't for the crowd there, I definitely would have just stopped. So they do help when you're at your tiredest, you know. What are the more memorable things that people have shouted out to you along a marathon course? Really, it's mostly, you know, most people just shout the same, really. You know, it's just your name and, you know, Scotland and stuff like that, you know. Um, There's nothing that that sort of sticks out that, you know, someone's shouted that, you know, it sort of stuck in my mind. Like, because you've got to think, when, when you're running, you're so focused, although people are shouting to you, it's not like a, you hear every word they're saying, it's more of a, a burr, you know, it's just like a burn in your, your ears, you know, and you're, you just hear the noise, but not specifically what they're saying to you, you know, that type of thing. What do you think about over 26 and a half miles of running? From start to finish, what I tend to do is I tend to, like, I talk to myself, and I, I go inside myself and I talk to myself like, you know, like, um, oh, my legs are a bit tired, so I'll relax them, relax them, relax them. Oh, you know, I've got a bit of a sore hip now, relax it, relax. And so I, I talk to myself completely throughout the race and I just completely block off. You know, I don't know where I'm running. I, I don't see any sight see, scenes or anything like that there. I mean, I've never once saw uh, Buckingham Palace yet when I'm running, <laughs> you know, and it's right in front of you. I, and I, I just, you know, I just don't... I'm not aware of anything that's going on about me other than how my body's feeling when I'm running. And I listen to my heart a lot to relax me. When you say you talk to yourself, what sort of things are you saying to yourself? I just say to myself, relax, you know, work hard, get your breathing right, you know, and just things like that. Just talk myself through the race. Right, you're at the five-mile point, like, blah, 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 this is what you've got to do and stuff like that. So you don't think about your family or your holidays no, or your home? No, or no, no, it's totally... The mind is totally focused on what you're doing at the time. Mm. You know, you, you don't sidetrack at all. What's it like when you finally see the finishing line in view? It's just a, a relief that it's over. You know, it's not like a, you know, a great big like hysteria or there's the finish line. It's just the fact that it's an achievement of like, you know, like it's a feeling of gratification that you've, you've finished the race, whether you've had a good one or a bad one. Obviously, there's mixed emotions. But um, really, it's just a, well, geez, thank goodness that's over. <laughs> you know, that's the sort of thing. It's a relief that you're finished more than, more than anything. Now, you, of course, have won 1996, mm-hmm. I think I'm right. Um, what did that feel like to actually win the Great London Marathon? Well, it was good that year because everyone had written me off. You know, I had had a really, quite a lot of negative press. It was really, when I finished that, the only thing was I thought was, I showed you. You know, that was the only thing that went right through my mind when I crossed the finishing line, I've showed them. Um, because, like, there was so much bad press going about how, you know, I was over the hill, I'll never do the same again, or, and it was really bad. And um, I actually got that bad that I even stopped reading newspapers and things because it was, like, you know, just like the control, like. So, um, 
I mean, it was just, you know, it was a special one. It was like, oh, sort of like, oh, I did it, like, you know, I showed them who's over the hill now sort of thing, you know. And uh, so I was really pleased with that. I really was. Obviously, you're not taking part this year, but can you win another London Marathon in the future? I believe I can, yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm uh, finished yet. I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be I'm the type of person that um, I couldn't run a race and be happy finishing sixth, knowing, you know, going into the race knowing that that was all I was good for. I'm very, very competitive. And when the day comes when I know that I'm not good enough to win, I'll, I'll not run. I'll retire right there and then. And so I still have the belief that I'm good enough to win. Are you strictly a marathon runner now, or do you still think about the 3,000, the 5,000, 10,000 or whatever? Strictly a marathon. I mean, I can run the odd 10k, but it's not as good as what it used to be. You find that the more marathons you do, the more it takes out your legs. It's very, very hard to recover from a marathon. You lose a lot of speed, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not sort of one of the fastest track speed legs anyway, but um, I mean, I mean, I did run like 30, 39. So, I mean, you know, I showed uh, that I did have overall good pace, but you find with a marathon, that even leaves you. You know, you really struggle to get... I, w- I, would, I would be competitive against top-class runners, but I wouldn't win, and I know I, I, know I wouldn't. It would be the odd 10k road race, yeah. You know, you'd be competitive against them, but it's very, very hard to get into that. The marathon, you have to train a lot of distance, and for to do the distance, something has to go, you know, so you can't do everything. How much are you going to train during this pregnancy and when will you resume after we've had the baby? Um, well, hopefully all being well. Um, just now I'm running like five five miles uh, a day with one day off in the week just to sort of recover in that. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll do that for as long as my my body allows me. I'm very much of... Um, aware of uh, listening to my body to, to tell that dictates to me what I do so we'll just see how it goes you know I've got no I've got no firm training plan that I'll do it's just a matter of wake up in the morning see how I feel and then decide and after you've had the baby how soon hopefully, hopefully get back in right away yeah really? yeah hopefully what within a few days well, with Ailish, I was running on the 11th day because I had a lot of problems with uh, the birth. Mm. But um, hopefully if all goes well, I would imagine, you know, running sort of third day after it or something. Just so give everything time to settle down a bit. And are you already thinking in terms of the Sydney Olympics? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I constantly think of that. That's on my mind all the time. That's what I want to compete in and do well in. Would that be the apex of your career, do you think? Yeah, definitely. All going well, yeah. So how important is it for you to win that? It's important in the fact that the amount of work that I've did, um, I mean, it's the Sydney Olympics that keeps me motivated now, you know, through the birth and everything. Um, so, I mean, I'm planning on, as soon as I have my baby, you know, that all the plans, whatever it is aimed towards winning at the Sydney Olympics. So, um, you know, it's very, very important to me. If you did win the Sydney Olympics, would you stop your career right then? No, I would probably run to another two years after, mm. yeah. You know, because I've interrupted it again now. I had planned all along that I was going to retire, whether, you know, run good or bad in Sydney, I was going to retire after the Sydney and then have more children. But because I've got a child, you know, pregnant now, um, I'll run another couple of years after Sydney now. You know, obviously you don't know what's going to happen ahead of your future. What would you like to have achieved by the end of your career? I would have loved to have got an Olympic gold. That's about it. <laughs> mm, that means a lot to you, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you ask any athlete, the the sort of uh, utopia of all their athletics is Olympics. You I mean that's what every athlete's dream is? 
to be an Olympian, to win a medal. I mean, I've won a medal, but, you know, it's not the right colour. 